the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. Author of Profiles in Corruption, which I read, Abuses of Power by America's Progressive Elite. They are even more corrupt than I thought after reading your book, Peter Schweizer. Welcome to my show. Dennis, always great to be with you. Thanks for having me. Always? <laughs> always. Always. <laughs> wow. Uh, uh, it's nice 100%. to hear. Yeah, that's great. Hey, do you live in Tallahassee? I do, yes. Um, I lived in Washington, D.C. for years, uh, and when I started writing about corruption in Washington, D.C., I figured I'd probably better leave town, uh, and my work is much more appreciated down here than it is inside the Beltway. How do you like Tallahassee? I love it. I love it. It's a college town of Florida State University. It's a state capital. You're not far from the beach. Uh, it's Florida with a little bit of a mix of the American South, so... Uh, so I enjoy it very much. So who's moving to Florida now? I think lots of people are. Um, the reports we hear is a lot of people from New York and New Jersey are, are heading to South Florida. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, people from Illinois are moving to the western part of the Florida, uh, um, you know, boot, as it were. Um, so, yes, there's a lot of influx and, and uh, generally they're very, very welcome. But uh, people always uh, ask them, you know, if you come down here, don't don't uh, necessarily vote for the things you voted for in New York, New Jersey, and Illinois down here because we like the way the state is right now. Thank you very Why much. Why isn't that argument dispositive? You fled a place run by the values you want now to reign in Florida. H- how do they answer that? I, it's a great, it's a great question. I think, you know, it, it seems strange because these are, you know, professionals oftentimes uh, and smart. They just don't seem to always draw the connection uh, between the decisions that have been made in Sacramento or Albany uh, with the state of New York or the state of California. So it's almost as if, if they believe that the transformation in their state uh, from becoming high tax, expensive, regulated, was somehow by osmosis, not by a series of decisions that people uh, made. Uh, And I think it's important to remind them of that. So right now, how would you assess the politics of the refugee to Florida? Uh, You know, it's hard to say. I would say many of them... uh, are frustrated uh, with how uh, expensive uh, their life is in New York and elsewhere, that the taxes are high. I think also the role of the oppressive um, COVID lockdowns. I think New York has been uh, much more aggressive on this than most states. So 
So I think all of that generally leads them to be a little bit more libertarian uh, in their thinking. Um, you know, but we'll see. I mean, I grew up uh, in Seattle, uh, Washington, uh, and I went to California in the 1980s and visited. It was generally a, a center-right state uh, and changed uh, quite dramatically. So it can happen anywhere, Texas, Florida, uh, it just people need to make good choices uh, and really think through the implications um, of who's leading them. I didn't mean to ask you this, but uh, I have great respect for your knowledge and, and wisdom, which is a big deal for me because wisdom's rare. Uh, so you don't even have to make a prediction. I, I don't make a prediction, but do you have any sense of the election? Uh, I will tell you... Um, <laughs> I would I would probably be the worst person to ask about that. I believed Hillary Clinton was going to win in twenty. Right, you know what? We're, believe- we're brothers. We're brothers of the uh, with that with different mothers. That's exactly <laughs> what I believed. Yes, and, and and I thought Mitt Romney was going to win in twenty twelve. So uh-huh. I've got a terrible record. Right. I've got a terrible record. You're with me. Okay, fine. It's a perfectly legit answer. So, I, I want you to know. Your book prepared me for the revelations with regard to uh, the Biden family. I mean, I really learned a lot from your book, including about Kamala Harris, who's totally under the radar, which is a phenomenon. But just talking about the Biden family, why is it not a, a, a normative, widespread question how does a man who spends his entire life in politics get so wealthy and his family? It's a, it's a great question, um, and people ask that all the time as it relates to the Bidens and other people. Um, and, and it's a completely, totally legitimate question. And in the case of the Bidens, uh, you know, I talk about this in the book, they, they've really mastered what I call offshoring corruption. So if you look at, at um, you know, Joe Biden's financial disclosures when he was in office up through the vice presidency, uh, generally it showed that he had no assets. Um, and that's because the deals that the Biden family did did not involve Joe because they'd have to be disclosed. They'd be visible. It might break the law. So the deals are done with family members. So by offshoring, I mean if people wanted favors from Joe Biden, they would do deals with his kids. They would do deals with his brothers. Um, and that became the pattern. And so what you see with the Bidens is uh, this incredible system uh, where you have five family members. I mean, a lot of people you know, focus on Hunter, and I think Hunter is the most egregious. But this is not a Hunter problem. This is a Biden problem because uh, his two brothers, his sister, his daughter, uh, and her husband – all engaged in getting sweetheart deals and favors from Joe Biden. And I think the other thing that makes this important to focus on with the Bidens is, you know, we're not talking about a congressman who's trying to get a road paving contract for his nephew from the federal highway funds. I mean, that stuff goes on and that stuff's bad. We're talking about globalized graft and corruption involving actors around the world who don't particularly have the interests of the United States at heart. We're talking about the Chinese government. We're talking about Russian oligarchs. We're talking about corrupt Ukrainian oligarchs. So the Biden corruption, while corruption is widespread in Washington, D.C., is unique because of how broad it is. You've got five family members. 
but also the depth, the fact that their business partners are these people around the world that, that, that frankly don't All right, have so, so the money is coming from foreign governments largely or foreign businesses? Both, yes. You have the Chinese government has done a series of deals with Hunter Biden. We also now know that James Biden, his brother, uh, was directly involved with a Chinese energy company called CEFC, which is very close to the People's Liberation Army, the Chinese uh, uh, military. Um, and then you have corrupt oligarchs. You have Yelena Baterina, who is the ex-wife of the mayor of Moscow, who in WikiLeaks, if you go look her up in the WikiLeaks documents on the State Department cables, you find out that the State Department since 2010 has regarded her as joined at the hip with Russian organized crime. Uh, this, this is an example of the sort of foreign businessman that Hunter Biden is doing deals with. He's, he's not doing deals in Frankfurt, Germany, and Tokyo. He's doing deals in Moscow, in Beijing, in Ukraine. And that's what's really troubling about this, because is that it has implications for the foreign policy that Joe Biden carried out as vice president. Okay, give an example of one of the implications. Uh, well, I'll give you a direct one, and that relates to China. Uh, and uh, I put out a 40-minute uh, a video called Riding the Dragon. You can find it for free on YouTube uh, about the Biden's relationship to China. And what you find is that Hunter Biden, while Joe Biden was vice president of the United States, secured a series of lucrative deals with the Chinese government that he had no qualifications getting. The Chinese government, for example, gave him, involved him in a $1.5 billion private equity deal, despite the fact that Hunter Biden had no background in finance or in private equity and had no background in China. And this was the Chinese right. government. Right. So what the, okay, so what I meant is you said it had implications for American yes. foreign policy. What, yes. what foreign policy ensued from that deal? If you look at Joe Biden's position on China, particularly beginning in 2013 when that deal was proposed, um, he has said repeatedly uh, in interviews that China's not a threat, they're not a rival. Okay, this is big. People. This yeah. is this and, is really and, hold hold on there, Peter. Hold on. Uh, his book is very important. I read it. I mean, what else can I say? Profiles and corruption. Abuses of power by America's progressive elite. I I had always walked around thinking I knew there was corruption in America. And nevertheless, I always thought that America had less of it than so many countries. And this was a big reason for our success. When you do all this research and know of all of this corruption, does, does, it, does it have a depressing effect on you? It's a great question, Dennis. Um, I'm, I'm kind of an optimist uh, by nature. Uh, part of that is my faith. I mean, I, I understand the fallen nature of man. Uh, I distrust concentrated power. Um, I guess the way that I've reconciled it is that uh, I didn't create the corruption. I'm exposing it. So exposing something that needs to see the light of day uh, would be grounds for um, maybe not celebration, but, but at least uh, a sense of doing something that's important. So it, it can be depressing in a way, but I think that you need to expose it because this is what makes our country great. 
um, the fact that the American people care about these things. They care about corruption and cronyism. Uh, it's important to them because they expect and want their leaders uh, to avoid it. You don't know this, but you said something, and I didn't interrupt you. Uh, I was tempted, but I didn't. Because I don't know if you ever saw the Groucho Marx show, but when the guest would say the, the, the magic word, the bird would come down with a $100 bill. <laughs> the, you said the magic word when you said that human nature, uh, I don't know, the, I don't remember the word you used, corrupt or whatever, you'd fall in... Uh, fallen nature, the yeah, fallen nature. Yes, of the man, fallen yes. nature, yes. This is the dividing line at the if you dig and dig and dig to find the difference between left and right, that is the dividing line. We know what human nature is like. They don't. Therefore, we fear, as you put it, the concentration of power among very, very troubled-natured human beings. Why would I trust people with human nature with, with massive power? And that comes from, forgive me, one, just one more point, because you, you said sure. another thing which would have brought another bird on the Groucho Marx show about you, you, you're a man of faith. So am I. And we, we are not the identical faith. However, we both have the same basis, which is this understanding of human nature that religious Jews and Christians understand and therefore have different politics. That's the whole point. Yes, I, I agree. I mean, the Judeo-Christian tra tradition uh, teaches us that we should not trust people with concentrated power. We know that sometimes in history you're at war, uh, maybe President Lincoln needs added powers to, to preserve the republic, but in general, you do not want to concentrate power. And, and, and it really, you know, I have friends that are obviously on the political left, and you know, it, it, it doesn't make sense to me the fact that in some senses they're distrustful of power with, for certain people. Um, so, for example, I have friends that were very troubled, and I shared some of those concerns about the fact that, you know, the National Security Agency and other entities were, uh, you know, engaged in surveillance in, in the United States. That was a big issue during the Bush administration, you remember. I talk to those individuals now who are in favor of a government takeover in health care, and I, and I ask them, seriously, you're worried about the government monitoring your communications, but you're not worried about the government having access to your entire medical history? And, and it's a paradox. I think that if, if you understand that concentrated power is something to be feared and to be concerned about, that leaders... Uh, can be sacrificial at times, but they can also be enormously self-serving. Uh, you are suspicious of concentrations of power, and that, I think, is the bottom line for me when it comes to corruption. The ultimate remedy to, for corruption, you're not going to find corrupt, free people to lead us in every capacity. What you can do is make sure that we have a balance of power, a check of power, divided power in the sense of the branches of government, and don't allow our leaders to have concentrated power. And when you look at the political parties today, there's a huge divide on that question, whether government should be given more authority in our lives or less. When they say Trump is a dictator, 
I, I wrote in my column, which comes out as it happens on Tuesdays. So my column is out today, and it's a, a list of left-wing lies in which we the society is drowning. One is Trump is a dictator. And I point out it's almost inconceivable that a Republican or a conservative would be a dictator. Their whole platform is less government. <laughs> That's, that's exactly right. I mean, look, if, if you wanted to be a dictator as president of the United States, first thing you'd want to do is have government take over of health care. Yes. Because uh, then you could, right. use, you could use the levers of, of government to punish your enemies and help your friends. The other thing you'd want to have is the mass confiscation of firearms. I mean, throughout history, whether it's that's Lenin, right. Stalin, Hitler, or Mao, that's right. you don't want individuals owning guns. I mean, so just from a policy level... Um, the notion that, that, that Trump is somehow a dictator makes absolutely no sense. Corruption is the major reason the third world does not develop further. Not resources, not intelligence, not abilities, corruption. And it doesn't sound like it's all that bad, and yet it ruins societies. So what you're doing is of extreme extreme importance before i get to the biden uh, uh the latest biden issue with the computer i want you to, to just develop for me for a moment when you said 6535 corruption of left-wing politicians to corruption of right-wing politicians what is the 35 percent how does it manifest itself well, I think that the, the reason I would say that, that it seems to be more prevalent among the left is that the, the, the left seems to be much uh, more comfortable staying in government longer. Um, you know, it, it's after all the aspiration a lot of them have. I mean, the pinnacle of success for them is to be in government service, whereas people that are center right uh, oftentimes, you know, feel like, well, I want to go into business or I want to do something in the private sector. So part of the reason I think there is this gap is because the longer that you stay in, in public office, in government, the more likely you are to engage in corrupt behavior. Uh, one of the, the, the people that um, I've talked to over the years uh, is Bobby Jindal, who is the governor of Louisiana and congressman. Right. Uh, I know him. Uh, yeah. Louisiana. Yeah. And, and Bobby told me, you know, when he first got to Washington as a congressman, he said, you know, everything was so dirty, the way things were done, and you noticed it. Uh, and after you stayed there for a while, it didn't seem quite so bad. And, and he sort of ended, ended the conversation with a quip. He said, when you first get there, it's a cesspool, but you stay there for a while, and it starts to feel like a hot tub. That's, a, a, that's a, so – what a great point. So just – are you prepared to give me – is there a right-wing equivalent to Joe Biden in terms of corruption? Well, I, I wrote a book called Secret Empires that came out in 2018, where we first talked, talked about the Biden's relationship with China. Uh, and uh, a re- Republican, it would not be an equivalent, but pretty darn close, uh, would be Senator Mitch McConnell, uh, who uh, uh, his wife, Elaine Chao, who's the transportation secretary, uh, her family uh, enjoys uh, enormous, uh, let's say, commercial graces uh, from the Chinese government. They own a shipping business. Um, if the Chinese government decided tomorrow that they wanted to shut down that company, they could. Um, and that is directly tied to the fact that he has political status. Now, 
It's a little different than the Bidens because in the case of the McConnell Chow family, they actually have an underlying legitimate business. They had a shipping company, but there's no question that they have benefited from the good graces of Beijing and that Mitch McConnell's attitude towards China has been decidedly less hawkish than others. In the case of the Bidens, of course, there really is no underlying legitimate business. Hunter Biden became partners with the Chinese when his dad became vice president, um, and he brings nothing to the table. But to me, that is an equivalence. You don't want to be doing commercial deals with a foreign government, particularly if that foreign government is our rival, because they have you over the barrel uh, and they are going to um, lead you, I believe, to soften your critique uh, of that government. What did we learn? What did you learn? That's a better question. What did you learn with regard to the prosecutor that Biden bragged on camera having fired as a result of the revelations from the computer, or did you learn nothing? Uh, no, there were some very interesting emails uh, the New York Post has reported on. I should say that I know as much as everybody else does. I don't have access to those emails. But what, what they have brought out uh, dovetails completely uh, with what we knew. So it has built to the foundation of, of uh, what we had reported earlier. The new emails uh, demonstrate a couple of things. One, that apparently uh, Burisma executives got a private meeting with Joe Biden while he was vice president of the United States. Yeah, that's huge. Here's, All right, hold on yeah. there, hold on. That, that, because that means that Joe Biden lied repeatedly to the American people on a very big matter. He did meet with an official of Burisma. Is that correct? That's correct. This is a, a matter that uh, Joe Biden has, frankly, lied about repeatedly. I mean, he has issued a blanket statement. He said it himself that I've never discussed or had contact with any business partners uh, involving my family. Uh, we know that uh, he met with a Chinese executive when he flew over on Air Force Two with his son in 2013. Uh, we know that um, uh, he met with this Burisma official now, uh, according to these emails. Um, these are examples of how, you know, Joe Biden has tried to make this issue go away by issuing blanket statements. But now it's all come tumbling down. And unfortunately uh, for the American people, uh, his response is basically to be on lockdown. He's not out answering questions. These are the sort of questions that 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 can really you can provide simple answers to if you're prepared to be straightforward about it. So what is the official Biden response now? They call it a smear. Is that the official response? It is. It's it's very strange, Dennis. So uh, you know these emails uh, have been released. I I certainly haven't been able to see them and look at them. But the Biden camp has not said that the that they're fake emails. They've not said that they're uh, you know made up or that they're manufactured. Um, their only response has been that it's a smear. And of course, the question is, can the truth actually be a smear? <laughs> um, and and so I think they have a real uh, problem here because yes, you can have a discussion about the Provence about how did these emails get there? How did they get circulated? But at the end of the day, the question is whether they're truthful or not. And they apparently have, have conceded that it's, it's been, you know, basically a week 
Uh, they have not challenged. Well, uh, uh, just, just I just want you to know, though, Adam Schiff, whom I, I believe is the is the only pathological liar in the U.S. Congress. I I, I, yeah. I very yeah. rarely use that word. I don't. He lies when he speaks. So his latest is that this is Russian disinformation. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, the, the, what, what the claim is is that these emails were somehow hacked by the Russians. Now, the, the director of national intelligence has come out, Mr. Ratcliffe, and said there's no evidence of that. But the larger issue is, the fundamental issue, issue is, are these emails real? Notice that Adam Schiff's not saying that they're fake. He's not saying that they're that they're inaccurate. Well, or made up. well, what is this? In, wait, well, what is this information if it's if it's not fake? Well, that's what I mean. I mean, it's it's they're they're trying to uh, they're trying to uh, create the impression that these have somehow been manipulated. But the Biden camp has certainly not said that, and Adam Schiff has not uh, declared that himself. They're essentially, I think, trying to argue that they believe that these were hacked, even though there's no evidence. And for some reason, that makes them not credible documents. But then the Biden campaign should come out and say that unequivocally. These are fake emails. They're not real. And we can have a national conversation about that. You have to admit that the way this came to our attention is is almost miraculous. That, that he himself would bring the computer with these emails to a shop, <laughs> leave it at the shop forever, that the shop owner had had the uh, decency to, to report it. I mean, it, it, it's, it's mind-blowing that this, this was made available. Anyway, who even has computers repaired? <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, I wish, I pray for... A computer repairman to make a living, but I, I don't quite understand why people just don't get a new computer. Nevertheless, so we we have these now revealed to to the American people. Now I'll ask you a political question. Even though you're 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 an information man, do you think it will make a difference? I my experience has been that people uh, do are concerned about corruption on, on, on left, right, and center. Now, obviously, it's a very polarized time. People have dug in uh, in their trenches and their positions. But I do believe there are enough people uh, uh, in the middle that take this stuff seriously. And they expect their leaders, when these issues come up, to give them answers, not to dismiss it and blow it off. And particularly in the case of Biden, uh, it's not just a question of, you know, sort of funneling some money in your son's pocket. Again, you're talking about something that is wrapped up with foreign governments and particularly the government of China, which, look, has said publicly by 2030 they want to supplant the United States as the world's global superpower. That who is, that's who is putting money in the pocket of the Biden family. That is certainly relevant, and I do believe and want to believe that there are enough Americans that still care about that uh, and want to have answers. Uh, to Explain issues. this to me if you can. Given now that it's pretty clear why then-Vice President Biden had the, uh, I think, a pretty rare thing of forcing a government to fire one of its leading figures, that prosecutor, why would he have done this on video and bragged about it? 
It's a great question. I mean, you know, look, Biden uh, has a, a history of um, sort of making uh, statements and, and sort of talking on the fly. Um, I think that he believed that it was going to position him uh, with his audience. He was speaking at the Council on Foreign Relations as a reformer, as a guy who's trying to clean up Ukraine. What the people in that audience didn't know at the time, of course, was that Hunter Biden, uh, sorry, that Joe Biden's son, Hunter, was in business uh, and being paid a million dollars a year by Burisma. And being investigated. That that was under investigation by the prosecutor. Yes. So it, 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 this is what we call chutzpah. <laughs> this, is, this is a living example. Peter Schweizer and I continue in a moment. Now that's chutzpah. All right, everybody. I did not expect to uh, keep uh, Peter Schweizer for the entire hour. I don't know what, what, what bill he's going to send me. I... Your rates, your rates are pretty high, uh, so I, I, I'm a little worried, but, uh, but, but, but it was worth it. By the way, are you, I don't even remember in radio. Are you allowed to pay guests? I forgot. What is it? Is that an issue? I forgot. I mean, we never have it, you know. But I was just curious. A funny thing to think about. Anyway, whatever you would bill me, it was worth it. Uh, you're just a font of of information there. So. Let me ask you a final question. In all the revelations from the emails, has anything surprised you? Uh, it, it, it hasn't surprised me in the sense that it's all consistent. But 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 let me tell you this, and I don't mean this uh, as as a as a tease. But there is a story that will be hitting in the Wall Street Journal soon. Uh, an individual who was uh, business partners with the Bidens. Uh, who has come forward um, with more documents and revelations. Um, and we have also, uh, myself and a colleague, uh, have obtained 26,000 emails from a uh, Biden uh, former business partner named Bevan Cooney, who is now in federal prison and, and uh, you know, has obviously admitted uh, to the mistakes that he made uh, but he has shared with us 26,000 emails that we are going through now. So there are more revelations to come. Everything builds on the foundation that we established before and demonstrates the depth and the extent to which the Biden family is intertwined with these foreign entities getting sweetheart deals they're not entitled to get. They don't bring anything to the table. And it's all based on Joe Biden's political power. Is there anyone in the upper echelon of American politics as corrupt as he? Uh, I would say probably not. Uh, there was a, a Republican senator uh, that we found that had three members of his family that was engaged in uh, 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 corrupt activities. The Bidens actually have five. We actually nicknamed the Biden Five. Uh-huh. So again, the extent of it, uh, I have not. I've never seen five family members engaged in this kind of behavior. And again, I have never seen it as globalized. Uh, the involvement of these foreign entities and foreign governments, rival foreign governments, I have not seen before. Well, this was a revelatory hour. Peter Schweizer's book, Profiles in Corruption, which I've read. And it is uh, sobering reading. It's also uh, relentlessly interesting. Thank you, Peter. Thank you so much. 
Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership programs offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend to go to Town Hall Review and sign up as well today. This is Jerry Boyer of Town Hall Finance for townhall.com. Former Vice President Joe Biden is running on a campaign of returning to the Obama years. But when it comes to foreign policy, that could end up being a disaster. Under the Obama-Biden administration, the greater Middle East collapsed into revolution and civil war. Their administration helped overthrow the government of Libya, extending a war that has killed thousands and has drawn in a host of foreign actors. They gave arms to Syrian rebels, arms which later fell into the hands of terrorists. The Syrian civil war has resulted in the deaths of hundreds of thousands. Biden's plan includes a continuation of Obama's interventionist ideology and a pivot away from the peace initiatives we've seen from Trump in the recent Abraham Accords. Biden has made a habit of picking fights and embracing bad actors. Trump has brought the Middle East closer to peace. A President Biden may pull it back into chaos. I'm Jerry Boyer. 